Get us right into the word. Johnny is here all the way from sunny California at Gordon Conwell Seminary, and God's rocked his life, and I want you to know about it. So, yes, Johnny, tell us about it. Yes, he did. Um, hello? Okay, you can hear me. Um, all right, yeah. So, I just want to jump right into it. Um, I only have 10 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, actually, uh, yeah, before I was a believer, I was an intravenous drug user. Um, I used to use uh, methamphetamine and heroin. And uh, the Lord saved me one day, and here I stand. Um, that's it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I started using when I was 14. Um, actually, my first drug was methamphetamine, so I jumped right in. And um, I was in and out of drugs, or I was in and out of uh, rehabilitation centers and jail since then, um, since I was 15, actually. Um, and I was just, it was a revolving door. I tried to get sober a bunch of times, but I didn't know who Jesus was, and I didn't know, didn't believe in God. And, um, actually, um, at the, like, before I came to Christ, and the end of my using days, uh, thank the Lord, um, I remember, um, I had nothing. I was bankrupt in every which way, financially, spiritually, emotionally, um, friends and family deserted me, and um, I lived on the streets. I didn't have a home. Um, and um, I remember this one night that uh, I didn't, uh, it was going to be cold that night, I'm sure, and uh, I broke into an abandoned, abandoned house, and I... Uh, I slept in there for about a week or two, just trying to recuperate, thinking that I can get my life together one more time. And um, I um, woke up one morning, and I said, okay, I'm going to do this today. And uh, I went and walked the streets and tried to find somebody to bum 50 cents off of so I can make a phone call on a pay phone. And uh, I called somebody for help, and thank the Lord, somebody actually did come and pick me up. Um, I had to walk about two miles to go meet this person. So I was walking down the street, and I remember it like if it was yesterday. But um, I was walking down this long, windy road. It was a residential street that I'm familiar with. And uh, it was really quiet, really calm. It was the middle of the day. And uh, I could hear, the only thing I could hear were uh, my shoes squeaking because I had no insulation in my shoes anymore. I, I was recognizing that. The only thing I owned was what I was wearing. I didn't even have an ID. Um, I owed a dealer $2,000, and he was looking for me. I owed four months in jail, so the cops were looking for me. And uh, I burned all my bridges, and I had nothing. So that day, and um, I'm, I was really dirty. Haven't didn't take a shower for a couple of weeks. So I wouldn't recommend that. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and I was walking down the street, and I just cried out to God. I said, God, if you're real, please help me. I'll take whatever life you give me. Just please help me. And that day, God showed up. Um, and uh, I went into uh, a sober living house that day. I got food and clothing. And um, I turned myself into jail. Um, and as soon as I stepped in... Um, into jail. I was surrounded by Christians, and I thought that was really strange. (laughs) Um, So there were a few Christians there that, like, forgot to pay a ticket or something, and they happened to be in jail. And, um, (laughs) 
Um, and as soon as I heard that they had church in there, I, I went to service. And uh, they did an altar call at the end of the sermon. And uh, I was like, sure, why not? I'll, I'll do it, you know. What do I have to lose? Uh, and um, so I stood up and gave my life to Christ. And um, uh, I, I was, we were singing a song afterwards, Amazing Grace. And uh, uh, what it, it really resonated, that would save a wretch like me. God did that. Uh, thank you, Lord. And I was raising my hands up. I didn't even know you could do that in church. I just did it anyway. <laughs> and, um, and I felt the peace of God like I've never felt before. Up until that point and ever since. And it felt like I was in heaven, but I just couldn't see it. It only lasted for like a minute. But man, I tell you today, I really searched for that feeling, that peace. It's just overwhelming. And it was so... I really enjoyed that. And uh, the rest of my four months in jail, I just, um, I was passionate about the Lord. I only knew one Christian song, so I sang it over and over and over again until people told me to <laughs> go over there and sing it, or they're just tired, <laughs> tired of hearing it. Um, and then I got out, and I was passionate about the Lord, and I really wanted to serve Him. Um, I could tell you about all the accomplishments that have happened in my life due to the Lord, um, but I don't think it's really about that. Um, I just I think the most valuable thing is just our relationship with the Lord and knowing that we have eternity in heaven. Amen. And it's purely by His grace. And His grace is, is evident in my life. So thank you guys for letting me share. Thanks. Thank you. I want to pray. Amen. Precious brother, God does precious things, doesn't he? Lord, we just thank you so much for this rescue, and we're asking for many more. I pray that um, just, uh, I thank you for Johnny, thank you for the call in his life, that he, I just believe there's a whole inheritance in this man, that he's going to be a part of a great rescue, just as he was greatly rescued by the Lord, he'll be a part of a million other great rescues, God. We pray fully for that inheritance, for him, for us, Lord. We, we just want to see you accomplish many, many other great rescues. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, man. <clears throat> Amen. Uh, just a warning. Uh, I will, in my message here, make an adult, a reference to adult sexuality. So if you are, it's just going to be a little PG-13. So if you've got kids probably 16 and under, I'd say you might just want to consider um, whether their presence here is appropriate. So get that out there. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And um, we just uh, turn our attention to your word. Uh, we're already, our attention is already turned to your word. Your word has come through worship. It's come through these testimonies. And Lord, you're the living word. And so we ask, living word, come and um, make yourself manifest in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, growing up, I always wanted to see what love looked like. I always wanted to know, what does love look look like. In particular, I, my best friend in high school, uh, junior high and high school, is a, a guy named Tom. And I remember just really enjoying being in his house. He was one of four in a larger Catholic family, one of four kids. And I was always just observing how his dad loved his mom, how his mom responded to his dad, how they disciplined the kids 
how the brothers and sisters loved one another. And it was fascinating to me, and I was engaged by it. The girlfriend that I had for three years in high school was also one of four girls. <laughs> and uh, she, also a Catholic family, and I loved being in their family, watching. How does, how do her parents relate? How do the sisters love one another? How do they care for one another? I wanted to see what does love look like. And then uh, as a young man in college with the different guys who discipled me, you know, a man named Kurt, many of you know him. Kurt, uh, I had the privilege of being with him when he got his engagement ring and then just being involved in his uh, courtship and then wedding of his wife, Karen. And just through that whole process, observing how does Kurt love Karen? How does he, and once they're married, how do they run their home? How do they handle conflict? Likewise with Sean, who some of you know. Sean's the leader of our mini-movement here of churches, the pastor of the river. As I was getting to know Sean and coming on a team to plant a church in Boston, I observed Sean and his home and, and his family. How did they love one another? And even Jimmy. Jimmy, who at the time was my college pastor, um, and now he's the kind of leader of our larger movement of churches. I remember being in his house. Okay, how does he handle conflict with his wife? A few times I was in their household. What does it look like? for him to discipline his kids. I was just, just hungry for what does love look like? Are you hungry for the same thing? When you have those existential crises, right? When you're like, God, who am I? Um, what am I to do? What am I doing here on earth? Do you long for a tangible sign? What God does your love look like? We have a great picture of what God looks like in Psalm 107. I want us to turn there. And as we're looking at the Psalms, we are asking God, God, show us how to give us this vocabulary to relate to you. Give us this vocabulary to know you and to be intimate with you. Now, this Psalm, as opposed to last week's Psalm, last week we looked at a lament. It was one of those one in three Psalms where you're crying out to God and just what a great way to connect with God in your distress. Psalm 107 is a little more didactic. In other words, it's a little more teaching. It's a little more instructional for us. It's going to answer that question, what does God's love look like? In other words, look at, look at the first verse here. Psalm 107, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Now let's look at the very last verse of the psalm. Verse 43 says this. It says, Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great Love of the Lord. So guess what? This psalm is going to tell us about God's love. It's going to illustrate to us what is God's love like? What could it be like? And as we get into the psalms, remember that what we're looking at is we're looking at the hymn book of the people of God. Probably compiled and edited in the early 500s BC, when the Israelites were coming back from exile, they're rebuilding the temple. And these things are, had started in David's time, you know, in the 900s BC, about 400 years before, were now being compiled into one place. And what we're about to read is actually just a transcription of a worship service. Just a few thousand years ago, just like us, basically it was four Johnnies giving testimony. We're going to hear four testimonies of different people who've experienced the love of God as we read Psalm 107. So let's walk through this a little bit together. Verse 1, 2, and 3. It's a call to worship. We just had a call, call to worship this morning. Here was the call to worship back then. It was, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say this. 
Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from the north and south. A call for the people to worship. Curtain closes. Curtain opens. And here comes Johnny number one. Our guy's going to give testimony. This is how God rescued me. Listen to what he says. Or what the, yeah, what is said. Verse four through nine. It says, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. But then they cried out to the Lord. Remember, Johnny cried out to the Lord. And I, I encourage you, actually, Johnny, as you can imagine, he shared in 10 minutes what could be shared. He's got a few hours in there that he could share. I mean, you hear the full testimony. There's one moment when Johnny cries out to the Lord in particular, which is just incredible. But anyways, this person walking through the desert cried out to the Lord in his trouble. And he delivered them. God delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. And this is going to be a refrain for all these four witnesses, all these four testimonies. Here's the refrain. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. And then I love what comes after the refrain because for each testimony, it's a little different. And here it is in verse 9 for this first person. It says he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Wow. Can we just say that together? He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So God's love, it reaches us in all our distress. And in this particular one, God's love reaches us when we're dry. Anyone been dry? Are you dry? Everyone say dry. Okay, God's love reaches you when you are dry. From 1998 to 2001 was a very dry period in my life. I had moved to Boston to be part of a church planting team. Forsaking vocation, I had forsook the career of teaching to be a part of this church plant team. I went through several different jobs. I just worked a, a bunch of different software jobs. I was a travel agent for a year. Kind of did everything for a few years there. And it was also very relationally, a little bit unsettling. I had spent seven years in Texas at college and moved out of a lot, an amazing church called ACC. I mean, it wasn't called that then, but it is now. But Antioch Community Church in Waco, I moved out of a life-giving church, great relationships, gone up here. And I know I'm from Needham, but moving to Boston, the city might as well have been moving to any other city in the world. Because, gosh, as a little suburbanite, I didn't grow up going into Boston much. My point is this. It was a dry period. There's a lot of relational longing. There's a lot of vocational longing. I was longing for home. I was longing for family. I was longing for these things. And don't get me wrong. God was totally good because God had spoken to me that I was to leave that career and lay down some stuff to see this church plant get started. I was totally walking in the way of the Lord, but I was dry and I was thirsty. And I, man, I, um, there were just, it was just a real season of longing. In fact, when I think over the span of my life, I think that's just kind of a gray area in there where just as far as my heart, a lot of longing. Look what God says. He says that he will give you a city where you can settle. God cares about your relational landscape. He cares about your vocational landscape. He cares about your heart. And he wants to settle you. And when you're dry, he's going to give you water to drink. If you're dry relationally, dry vocationally, dry in your relationship with God, he wants to bring you by still waters. As my wife reminded us yesterday from Numbers 20, God is the one who told Moses to strike a rock and water would come out. So your landscape may look really desert lake right now in any of those realms. But man, God's got a rock for you to strike and the water will flow. Amen? God visits the dry. Everyone say dry. All right. Second testimony. Who else does he visit? Some, this is verses 10 to 16. 
Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. For they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to their Lord, to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. See, God loves us in our distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the deepest gloom. He broke away their chains. And here's the refrain. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Why? Because God breaks down gates of bronze and God cuts through bars of iron. God reaches us in our darkness. God reaches us in our darkness. Everyone say dark. When you feel dark, God can rescue and he can help and he wants to break through our gates and of course a lot of our own gates of iron and bronze are the very things that we've put ourselves into right it's our own sin that gets us into bondage and god is willing to break them down you know when i think of the gates of um the gates of bronze and the bars of iron do you know that um physiologically we have more knowledge about our own bondage than ever before and i want to talk to you about the human brain it's amazing. It's got 100 billion neurons in there, okay? Just go like this. You're shaking around 100 billion neurons, okay? That's as many stars as are in our galaxy, the Milky Way, all right? Now, your brain is only 2% of your body weight, but it uses 20% of your body's energy. And this is a fun thought. It has the consistency of butter at room temperature. Wow. It's sensitive. It's delicate, right? Now... There's more neural connectors. There's more neural connections going on than there are stars in the universe. Okay? We've identified 50 of the different neurotransmitters, right? The chemicals that make those things fire. And in any given second, your body has actually just made 5 trillion decisions. Of course, most of them are going on unconsciously to you. But your brain has made 5 trillion decisions, just that last second when I said it, um, to run your body. Isn't that incredible? Now, I'm talking about this because I want to I approach all of our, the, the addiction stuff that we struggle with. And the fact is, is that the addiction piece has more to do with your limbic system. Your limbic system is that fight or flight. It's also where the seat of your emotions, and it's where all your arousal comes from. And then the cortex, which is uh, that center of decision-making, um, is where the decision-making is. That's separate from the limbic system. So actually, this happened yesterday in the house. Jim was over the house. I want to share something. I, you know, I had, maybe did all of you guys receive that mailing for Harvard Extension School? I don't know if you received that mailing because we got it. We got, we got a, a, um, a um, postcard yesterday and, uh, from Harvard Extension School, and it has a man looking at a mannequin of a, like a person cut in half, and you can see into their brain and their eyeball and all that. But so I showed it to Jim, and Jim went, ah! Like, ah, that's gross, right? Because what had happened there is limbic system kisses it. Sorry, didn't kiss. His limbic system kicked in. And I was that, oh my gosh, is, you know, am I seeing a cutaway of a human cadaver? But then the cortex kind of can say, oh, that's, that's not a human cadaver. It's actually just a mannequin and it's a cutout. And it's still gross, but it's not alarming, you know? So when it comes to our addictions, our addictions all happen in the limbic system. It's why even though your reasoning says, I really don't want that piece of cake. I don't need to look at that thing on the internet again. You know, that's your cortex, but it gets totally overwhelmed by your limbic system. What I'm saying is we have more and more of a vocabulary and a physiology for our addiction. And um, we need the Lord, <laughs> you know. Uh, 
the, the, right now, it takes about what, what the um, behavioral neurologists are saying is that it takes about two to five years. If you're resting through an addiction, for you to really disengage from this thing, it's going to take two to five years of work. If you've given yourself over to, you know, your limbic system being aroused or excited by this, that, or the other, whatever it is that you go to. But here's the good news. If all we had was science, that might be a little bit of a bummer. And, um, but the good thing is we have the word of God. And the word of God says that he can cut through the gates of iron. He can get through the bars of bronze. So you've got some of those. We've all got a few of those in our limbic system. And God can break through. Okay? There's hard work too. Some of us have hard work to do. We're going to have to get into that two to five year cycle of getting out of the sin we've gotten ourselves into. But I'm saying we've got a God who can break through. Amen? Are you dark? He can help you. Okay? Are you dark? He can help you. He rescues the dark. He's willing to do it in Jesus' name. I just closed my Bible. Let me open it again. Because there's two more testimonies I want to get to, if we can. Thank you, Lord. This next one kind of reminds me of Johnny's situation. Um, I'll call it dastardly. All right, John, Johnny, you're not dastardly, but I just needed to get a D word that describes this next testimony. So we got God rescues us when we're dry. He rescues us in our darkness. And he rescues us when we're just downright dastardly. Check this out. 17 to 22. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food, right? Sometimes we get so um, stuck, we loathe what is good for us, you know? And we drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word. Ooh, I love this. I'm thinking of Johnny's story here. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. And this is great. This is what happens when God rescues. Look at verse 22. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Did you hear Johnny just say that he had a song in his heart? One song that he had? It's wonderful when God rescues people who've been struggling because of our own iniquity. And we're just sick. And even in our rebellion, what does God have us do as he restores us? He says, we give thanks to the Lord, right? We give thanks to God. God rescues the dastardly. He'll rescue you. I don't care how far you're in. He'll rescue you. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Johnny just told you a great work of God done in his life by his grace. Let's look at this fourth testimony, this fourth story. God rescues us when we're dry. He rescues us when we're dark. And he rescues us when we're dastardly. And lastly, this is a fun one. You're going to like this. This is the last story, verses 23 to 32. Others went out on the sea in ships. That's not bad, is it? They were merchants on the mighty waters. Sounds like a fun job to me. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke. Ooh, watch this. He stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths in their peril their courage melted away. They reeled and stra- staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And what did he do? He brought them out of their distress. God's love reaches us in our distress. Reaches us when we're dry. Reaches us when we're dark. Reaches us when we're dastardly. And it reaches us when we're daring, like these guys. It says in verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm. That's probably an understatement of the year. We're glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I was about to die. I'm glad now. 
They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Man, do you have a desire for adventure? I sure do. And then you turn on the Discovery Channel and you see that every possible adventure is out there and you hear all sorts of people saying, this is the life, right? Maybe it's travel. Ooh, here we are in Cancun. This is the life. Now we're in the Bahamas. That's awesome. Now I'm in Rio. Wonderful. And I'm in Paris. And it's awesome, right? We all have a desire for adventure. We're made for it. And that's a good thing. I want to make sure and not misinterpret here. God's given us. I mean, just look at the world. The wor- God has built adventure into this world because there, there is a desire for us to know God in our daring. But at least how I get duped is thinking that there's life in this or that all life comes from this, right? If I just had the best vacation, ah, I'd have life. Man, if you want to get that myth uh, shot down, we happen to like a humorist named Jim Gaffigan. He's a, he, he gives a great thing on Disney World, you know? Just like, let's spend tons of money and, and it'd be 100 degrees, like he says, on the surface of the sun. Have my kids whine and complain. Anyways, you get the picture that like, <laughs> we think Disney's great, then you get there and it's just, there's not full life in it all the time, Right? Whatever, you know, extreme, all the X games, you know. I, the, the quest for adventure, the thirst there is just absolutely incredible. And again, there's nothing wrong with adventure. I hope you have some, you know. But where we get duped is thinking that there's life, like all of my meaning in life is going to come there. Every time I step on a plane, you know, for me, adventure has been travel. I've really enjoyed France. I enjoyed a real adventure in Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco. I've loved my adventures there. And it's been a great journey with the Lord. And honestly, every time I step into a plane also, part of my adventure in college was getting my pilot's license. Loved it. And every time I get on a plane, this is the conversation that goes on. Part of me goes, ah, I should have been a pilot. (laughs) You know? (laughs) But then the second thought that goes in is just like, hey, I know these guys. They're having a good time. They don't have to go to the office every day. This is their office. But even that vocation... It's not the end-all, be-all. Pilots are just people, too. They are unsatisfied. They can fly a million, billion hours and see all the ends of the earth, but it doesn't mean their soul is satisfied. Do you know what I'm saying? I talked to my friend Mike. Mike's in the Coast Guard. I asked him, have you ever had a moment like this? You know? And I had the privilege of doing Mike's wedding a couple of summers ago. And, uh, you know, hey, tell me about the roughest seas you've encountered. And Mike mentioned a moment where he was in you know, a, the Coast Guard ships aren't huge. It was a 370-foot cutter. They were in the Bering Sea in Alaska. And they were, um, you know, if you've seen the Discovery Channel movie, The Deadliest Catch, they were out there protecting those guys, guys who are fishing in these cra- crazy waters, just being present. So if anything goes wrong, they're there. And he says, as they were leaving their tour, their duty there, they hit the edge of a storm. And he said the swells were 50 feet. He was on the bridge. He was actually steering the ship. And he was on the bridge, and it was sky, wave. I mean, sky, and then valley, because there are 50-foot swells, and the only way for the ship to make it in that weather is to hit the swells at, a, at the perpendicular, because if you're going with the waves, the boat's going to rock too much. And he said, for three days, it sounds like every time the waves hit the, the hull, it, just, it sounded like explosions going off. And they did that for three days. Anyway, I just thought you'd like that story. <laughs> <laughs> It was rough. It was rough. So he was really glad, too, when they got out of there. 
He was scared. He was scared. It was scary. They got out. Adventure. Daring. You've been built for some daring, but uh, don't believe the lie that there's life, totally life in it. And of course, when we, sometimes we do our adventures and, and we get what we, we get what we wanted. You know, Mike joined the Coast Guard. Well, there it was. <laughs> you know, he had this 50-foot swells. You do your adventure and you figure out somewhere along the line that it doesn't totally satisfy. God's love reaches the daring. Okay, it reaches the dastardly, reaches the dark, and it reaches the dry. That's what his love is like. Let's briefly read the little epilogue here. I'll end by saying, and God's love is just. Look at how God's just love is described here in these last verses. He turned rivers into a desert. That sounds pretty negative. Flowing springs into thirsty ground. The fruitful land is salt waste. Well, why would he do that? Oh, because of the wickedness of those who live there. There's some justice in God's love's love too. Listen to this, though. Here's the contrary. Verse 35. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. And there he brought the hungry to live. And they founded a city where they could settle. Again, here's this home idea. They sowed fields, planted vineyards, yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them. Their numbers greatly increased. And he did not let their deeds diminish. Excuse me, their herds. He did not let their herds diminish. Okay? So God, God's love, it makes us fruitful. And then we get a little picture of his justice here, too. Then their numbers decreased. And they were humbled. And there's a little history lesson going on here that I won't get into right now. By oppression, calamity, and sorrow. It says, now listen to this. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright will see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Wow, that sounds to me like the same song that Hannah sung in First Chronicles. The same song that Mary sung when she found out she was going to be with child. It's the song of, God, you, you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. That's the song that is being sung here. God's love is incredibly just. And if you feel like you're on the humble side, man, just wait. Grace is coming your way. And at the same time, if you're on the humble side, man, get low now. Because God opposes the proud. Who needs the God of the universe opposing him? Not me, right? Amen. And verse 43. Doing what we just did. Whoever is wise. Church, let us be wise today. Let him heed these things and consider the great love of God. What is God's love like? God's love is love that rescues us when we're dry, when we're dark, when we're dastardly, and when we're daring and we overextend our adventure. God loves us. Amen? Amen. Let's respond to him today. Jenna, why don't you come on back up, have the worship team back up. Let's consider the great love of God. And I think the main thing we want to allow some space here for God to do is we're going to allow God to do those rescues today. Maybe we feel like one of those categories fits you. Well, praise the Lord. You're in for rescue. Let me share a few of the things that um, we were praying for this morning we feel like God wanted to do. Someone had a picture of a right earlobe. If your right earlobe hurts, we want to pray for you. Uh, but the, the, more, the implication there was more, um, you know, there's a reference in the Old Testament that when an indentured servant wants to commit himself for life to his master, he would head up to a tree and the master would, um, you know, punch an awl through his ear. And then that slave would be his for life. And the, the feeling that Stephen had this morning was that, um, hey, maybe some of you out there feel like there's just time for you to consecrate yourself to the Lord in a new way. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Do it. Come and get prayer and let us pray for you. 
Another picture we had was of a red gift bag, like what you'd get at Christmas. That bag was empty. And the understanding there being that feeling that God's message of hope to you is empty. Like God's given you a gift, but it's empty. You know, and you're wondering, is there grace? You know, is there goodness from God here? And you, the word from God to use today, the word is that there is grace. That bag is filled and God has given you a good gift. He's not playing games with you. Another word we had, and this was um, from Bonnie, who didn't know that I was going to mention what I mentioned about just the addiction piece. She said, uh, Bonnie felt like God just wanted to give new levels of freedom for sexual sin, right? If you're in that, if you got that iron gate going on, that bar of bronze, let, let God break it today. Let there be some breakthrough this morning. John felt like, hey, the joy of the Lord shall be their strength. And that's a word we felt just for this church this semester, is that the joy of the Lord shall be our strength. If you need to just cry out for joy, notice that the common denominator in these four testimonies is that they all got to a point where they had to cry out to God. Like we talked about last week, Psalm 27, we cry out to God. If you need to cry out for joy, then cry out. And um, another picture, oh, this is good too, because um, um, they're all good, but I'm just saying. Anyways. Uh, someone saw a picture of a child's painting of a house. And, um, and the encouragement there was like the longing for home, kind of that first, the, the, we, we mentioned the, the dry one. Um, uh, that longing for home, uh, if, if um, you're sitting there longing for family, longing for home, um, God's got an encouragement for you that although it's a child's painting, um, that the thing will get filled up. So maybe you're sitting there longing for family and longing for home, and God wants to satisfy that. We had some physical words. One was for a right wrist, right earlobe I mentioned. One having to do with elasticity of muscles, possibly involving muscular dystrophy. If that's you or someone that you know, let's pray for you. And um, finally, we just felt like God wanted to, speaking of this whole um, the sea analogy, we just felt like God wanted to just overcome us with his love today. Can we be loved on by God today? Amen. Why don't you guys stand up?